Hey everyone, I'm Don Kim and with Price Modern and this is the Designer Studio. We are in Hayworth's beautiful downtown Washington DC showroom and I am excited for this episode. We're gonna do things a little differently today. We're gonna flip the format on its head because today we have an influencer in our industry, a maverick in our market, the co-founder and principal of Wingate Hughes and host of the video podcast, Gavin's Great Idea. With me today is Gavin Daniels. Welcome. Hey, Don, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here. And, you know, we chatted before this, uh, as I often do with guests, and we were chatting before the cameras came on, and you pointed out something that a lot of people point out. Our five questions start with what some people feel is a very elementary question. So we're going to change that today. And we're going to jump right into the questions. Usually we save them for the end. And I'm going to ask you, is there a color that pisses you off? Is there a color that I'll never see on one of your projects that you just avoid? Well, this may be bad timing, but <laughs> like the plague. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, honestly, no, there isn't. Um, there are colors that I don't like myself, um, but it depends on what day we're talking about. You know, on Fridays, I might like yellow. Monday, probably not a yellow day. Um, so I think that, that chartreuse, over it. Khaki, over it. Um, a lot of the, you know, the Anna Gray sappy wood tones that go real yellow, not like this, not at all this. This is great, but um, so, so that kind of thing. More for me, um, I go through our library every now and then and I'll literally pull stuff out if I've seen it too much in other places. Mm. Um, so, so we're not allowed to use it anymore. Um, there was a wall covering that we had pitched to two clients. The first client got it. And the other one, we told them we, they couldn't have it. Right. Um, so we think about those types of things more in line with, with what's, what's trendy sometimes, right. um, what feels good a lot of the time, and what, what is our client gravitating towards. Um, I don't want to see a return. Uh, as I talk through this, I get to the, the ones I don't like. Yeah. Um, forest fucking green and, and that, that kind of wine color red. Yeah. Right, the old, like the hunter green and gold stripe you'd see on every sports car. And that, that, and uh, what I call Baptist baby blue, which was the baby blue carpet in the church I grew up in. Oh. Never see that. Baptist baby blue. I can, I'm picturing it right now. Okay, so. Soft, so a little softer than your eyes. A little Just, just a touch. You noticed. Um, let, so, all right, it leads always, the first question always leads into the second question, and I'm going to ask it uh, similarly, differently than usual, and say, is there a material that you feel like when you walk into a space, you feel like that's a cop-out, or it, it, it's not a material you like to use, it, it's uh, an imposter for, for good design? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The answer is yes. Okay. Do you care to elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the in materials that are inherently imposters always bug me until they don't. Right. Um, a lot of times when it's done poorly, laminates, they used to do wood grains yeah. were trash. Well, now they actually look yeah, really good, 
right? So, so they don't feel like they're imposters as much. So I'm from, you know, I live up near Baltimore, and one thing Baltimore is known for is this faux stone. Oh my God, I hate that so okay. much. <laughs> I do too, uh, especially when you put it over brick, right? Yeah, but it's become part of the vernacular yes. there, so. Don't say that in Baltimore, yeah. but yeah, okay, so, yeah. so materials pretending to be something they're not. That's, that's really what, what gets it for me. Um, a lot of times, materials that don't play well with each other, um, you see that when you walk into a space and there's kind of like an acoustic echo chamber of shiny, bright, hard stuff everywhere that just can kill a space. Do you feel like that's a design error? Um, depends on what the intent of the designer was. Most of the time, designer, you don't really actually know the intent of the designer. If the intent was everyone walk in the space and shut up, then they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. Don't talk in the space. Because if you start talking, it goes everywhere and nobody likes it. I doubt that's rare. Yeah, it's rarely right, the, the right. intent. Maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, and we'll, we'll go, the, you know, the third question we always ask, and I will ask this as I always do, is um, who, was, who was an influence on you for design? My grandfather was. And was he a designer or an artist? No, no. Um, he um, fought in World War II, um, worked on oil rigs um, and uh, down in South Texas, but had a creative mind mm -hmm. like no other. Uh, he, has, he had a workbench that he, that he welded and he fabricated himself, and it had all these little doors and stuff, and it wasn't until after he passed, actually, that I went to the workbench and I was understanding how it all went together. There's a little motor in it, and I flipped it on, then I realized that he had welded this tube on the back. He had made an air compressor into his workbench. Oh. And he could blow off all the dust or metal shavings or whatever. And he just had this real inventive mind. There was nothing that, that he couldn't fabricate or make in his mind. Um, and that, that was an inspiration to me. Lately, um, there's, there's two places that I've been looking, looking at. Um, I love shopping for antiques with my daughters. Love shopping for antiques. Antiques are 100 years old. Um, things from the 20s. Mm -hmm. I've, been, I've, I've been gravitating towards. And uh, the work of Maxfield Parrish, famous painter, um, his picture, Daybreak, was in like millions of homes back in the 20s and 30s. Um, just the colors of it, the way the sun would come in and, and hit, and then there would be shadow on it, it's just stunning. The colorways. So on trend with what we're doing right now. Then Louis Vuitton. I've been reading a lot about him to understand him. Um, I've always had a, a, a love-hate relationship with, with high-end luxury goods. Um, as somebody who, who wants to be very practical and there needs to be a function for everything, it's taken me a long time in my life to get to where the function can be beauty. The function of a thing can be a, the way it makes you feel. And, and something that, that's almost intangible. Um, so I've been reading, I was actually in a Louis Vuitton store. And you know, sometimes in stores you have those beautiful books. And you're like, oh, I wish I could buy that book. Well, I actually asked him, they said, well, yeah, you can buy that book. It's this big book. He used to collect things. I like to collect things. Um, there's a word for it called wunderkammer. 
and if you ever saw pictures of old cabinets of curiosities, um, there's actually a similar uh, kind of one over at the portrait gallery, and it looks like a dollhouse, and it's all these little compartments in it. It's a type of undercomer, um, where he was, he would collect things from all over the world, things that were just interesting and fascinating to him. He had this amazing collection of African masks, um, and so I, I started reading more about him through that connection. And then I started seeing sketches of perfume bottles that he did. Louis Vuitton. Exquisite. Mm. Exquisite. And they started to, they reinforced the, the, the notion for me um, that the shape of an object can be the decoration. I've had a real tough time with a lot of the mid-century modern fad because I feel it's just so absent of any additive decoration. Um, and I miss that. The shapes that, that he worked on really had that beauty in the form themselves. It wasn't like he found something and then decorated it. You know, it wasn't the decorated shed type thing. Uh, so, yeah. Louis Vuitton. Understandable that it's high-end products. I mean, he made luggage for royalty in France. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, son of a hat maker. Right. Um, yeah, interesting. I, until you and I chatted, I didn't really think about Louis Vuitton as a designer. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, interesting. And, okay, so thinking about who your influence was, now turning to what space inspires you, I, I think I want to flip that as well and say, have you ever walked into a um, a space or seen a piece of architecture that you feel like it missed the mark. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it gives me a chuckle because my wife knows pretty much everyone that I feel this way about because every time we walk into a space or go by a building, we see it. You can't help it. Yeah, Say it. yeah. I'm like, ah! Uh, there's there's this, this one little building where they have the, the, it's like a skinny little tower on top of this like multifamily thing. And it has this roof, big fucking roof, the big, just completely out of proportion. Um, there's another, there's interior spaces. There's a lobby down on G Street that just seems completely out of whack. Yeah. Um, there's, there's buildings all over the place that do. A lot of times though, you need shit in order to appreciate you do and and i think back on I, I actually walked through one of my old designs 14 year old design today i was like i'll oh, be damned they haven't gotten rid of that yet we are all getting better every day so i've worked really hard when i think about these yeah they bother me but i try not to project that because that may not have been the best effort of everybody on that team. I know what it's like to go through a building design, to go through a space design, and have every genius on the project that needs to give you advice on what it should really look like, um, and how tough that process really is. And the notion that every single thing that we see isn't designed to be the best thing it could ever be. But my hope is that the person that did it is growing from there too. But I also know 
in different parts of our own country, there's different styles all across our country. And that is a big part of what makes us so great. And, you know, I was going to ask you because you, you grew up in Texas and um, you trained in Texas, uh, Texas A&M, and then you moved to Washington, D.C. And, you know, as we were preparing to come here, I was just thinking there's, there's no bigger difference, I, I think, socially, politically, um, and maybe even from a design standpoint. I mean, in Texas, you have space to design. Here, you don't. Um, and so talking about that regionality of yeah. design, is it difficult as a designer to, to move from one place to a very different place, especially when you've trained there, especially when you've grown up there? Yeah. It must be a part of you. I see on your podcast the, the steer up, up there, right? So it's part of you. Yeah. Is it, is it, was it jarring to come to DC and look at design? It was at the time. Um, it's been such an amazing journey we got here in, in 2004. Um, being here in DC is, is very different than Texas. You're 100% you're right. Um, but I tell you, people are people. Yeah. And if anything, I've, I've grown to see and design for so many different types of people that I would have gotten some exposure to in, if I was in Houston or in Dallas in a different way. Um, the speed here, holy, I mean, shit, it's fast. fast. And I think that anybody in our industry here is going to say, yep, fast. Yeah. Little things, um, in Texas, you'd use three and five eighths inch studs. Here, it's two and a half inches. You'll save, save every inch, yeah. you know. Everything's bigger in Texas. Oh, that's true. Um, but we still have a lot of space here. Um, I think that we use it a lot more effectively here, so I do like that. Um, I was back in Dallas and just seeing the sprawl rather than combining different activities, they're still spreading them out and it drives me absolutely nuts. Um, that's just how they chose to do it and they're not going to stop until they run out of space. People are happy with it. Yeah. You know, if you want to talk about something that's not well designed, it's, it's having single use plots of land right. spread over hundreds of miles all around Dallas. It's crazy. It's what they've chosen. Yeah. You know? It's always fascinating to see, well, when, when, <laughs> we, when we used to fly in airplanes, it's always fascinating to see cities like that, most cities, and how everything climbs out from the city in single plots. Yeah. Um, so the last question I always ask, and, and probably my favorite, uh, is, you know, if you could design anything, doesn't have to be a building this time, doesn't have to be an interior, anything, what would you design? I would keep designing, um, period. Yeah. That's, the, that's the most important goal for me. I don't see myself always designing interior spaces um, or clothing um, or you know, carpet, for example. I'm working on all kinds of different things right now in design. The key thing for me and the thing that, that, that will keep me going is to continue designing. And, and I know you have a lot of young listeners on this, on this show. Um, that's the most important thing. It's really, for me, it's not about, you know when I've made it? You know how I know when I made it? If I've designed, bow, right. who cares? Continuous journey. It is, and, and when I stop that journey, it's when the black socks and sandals are coming on.
Bermuda shorts, and we're just Sorry. kicking back, you know, kill myself. But, <laughs> yeah. but really keeping that journey going of design, uh, because I, there isn't one thing that I'd love to design. And you've said, I heard you say in, in one of your podcasts that you felt like you were doing your best design right now and that you were, you were feel like you're hitting your stride and continuing to learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not a designer. I'm not an architect. Uh, I am familiar with the creative process. Um, 25 plus years I've uh, been on stage as a stage actor and, and built characters. And, you know, you, you build these things from nothing. And when it's clicking, mm -hmm. it's clicking and it feels really good. Yeah. When it's not, it's terrifying, mm -hmm. and there's wild insecurity. That like this interview, I mean, I'm absolutely terrified right now. So do you, <laughs> don't let me um, Did you find that in your career? Do you still find that? Do you, yeah. Is it something that you feel like you get past, or is it something where a project just sparks, you feel like you're not hitting on it? You'll never get past it. Yeah. If you do, there's a problem. My, my freshman English teacher in high school, Lynn Dozier, uh, we worked on Literary Magazine with her. It was me and, me and a, a bunch of other renegades. Uh, ended up winning awards and doing a, really well with it. She said, it's <coughs> this thing that we do is uh, like having a baby. It's really fun to create the baby. That's a lot of fun. And then there's all the anticipation and all the buildup. And then the absolute pain of childbirth. We said, we will never do this again. And then the baby comes out and you're like, oh. I want to have another one. It's very similar in the design process. Every time I start a project, I'm afraid. Yeah. And it feels great. I, I've, I've grown to embrace that, that fear of, can, do I have another design? Can I fit all of this shit in this building? As we say in Texas, can you fit 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag, Absolutely. right? Uh, every time. What's going to be new? What's going to be cool? What are they going to like? That, that part of the process is like extremely important. I, 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 I like hearing you say that, I agree. And I would tend to say, you know, again, only from, from my perspective with the creative process, I think better creativity comes out of the insecurity sometimes rather than the confidence. And I think the perception of those viewing whatever it is you're building between those two things is very. Look, if I've got to convince a client that this is the right design, Trust me, I'm your architect. Man, that's not the right design. Right. When you have to jam it down somebody's throat to make them really believe it, and you've got to convince them, I think you might be missing the mark. Um, I will say that the, much like entrepreneurship, fail and fail quickly yeah. in design. Yeah. Don't I be afraid to change that design. That's been, been one of the key lessons for me. And in the, often in the business world, um, we're not allowed to even discuss failing anymore and it's such an important part of anything really as long as you're learning from it and so that's great listen I uh, thank I could talk to you forever we I, I wish we did a 30-minute show um, Gavin's great idea you want to tell people where they can find sure it? sure uh, so I've got a YouTube channel Gavin's great idea uh, we're working on getting an RSS feed look the premise of the podcast is for me to find great people that I can have wonderful conversations with. Much like the one we're doing now, um, I wanna bring these wonderful ideas that people have. Sometimes they're off the cuff, they're unscripted. It's that chance to talk about a creative process. On my most recent podcast, I talked with uh, one of the Texas architects, uh, James Halliburton. It's one of the hottest architects going in Texas right now. And we talked about the problem versus solution. 
and the reality that often your clients are bringing you solutions they want you to implement, not really bringing you a problem to solve. That's really nuanced stuff that I really love digging into. So check it out. Gavin's a great idea. Thanks. All right. Well, if you want to work with Gavin, uh, it's WingateHughes.com. You know where to find me, PriceMonitor.com. Thank you for checking out this episode. Check the other episodes out at YouTube forward slash PriceMonitor, and we will see you next time right here on The Designer Studio.